Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. I am such a sucker for synchronicities. What are the chances of this? So I interviewed today's guest, Stephanie. I interviewed her back in, I think it was March. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was March. I can barely remember yesterday, but I'm pretty sure it was March. And here we are. It is May. It is the Tuesday before this drops. And I said something to my friend, Kristen, who was on two weeks ago, that I was editing Stephanie's episode today. She was like, what? Like, yeah, like, what's the big deal? She's like, today is Nina's birthday. So what are the chances that we had this conversation months ago and it just so happened that I'm going to say it was Nina and Lorelai who made sure that this episode went live for Nina's birthday. Today's episode had me feeling all the feels. And at some point in this conversation, you hear me get extremely choked up. If you are on your way to work, you know, I haven't done one of these warnings in a little while. If you're on your way to work, I I would maybe wait until you're on your way home from work because this episode may make you feel all the feels. Stephanie doesn't only discuss the grief attached to the diagnosis, but she discusses the grief attached to the loss. We talk about how it affected her, how it affected her other children when Nina passed away. We also talk about Nina. Like, throughout this entire episode, in the conversation and editing it, I just felt Nina. And I just get such incredible vibes. Maybe because she seems to be kind of quick-witted like me. I, I'm, I'm digging her. I would, I'm digging her. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. And happy birthday, Nina. Okay, well, welcome back to When Autumn Comes. Hi, Diane, and uh, we have Stephanie here, too. We are doing an episode today with a couple grieving moms and Diane. (laughs) (laughs) We have a special guest today, Stephanie. Stephanie, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and about Nina? Sure. Um, First, thanks for having me, and I'm I'm excited to be a part of this episode. I want to know about Nina. You, you lost her at six, you said? She was or she was diagnosed at six. What did she love? What was her uniqueness? Give us an idea of who she yeah, was. Yeah, well, she was uh, a very unique little girl with an awesome sense of humor. She was kind of the type that was very precocious. She kind of would be the 
kid in the background observing everybody and then would come out with a zinger of a comment when you were least expecting mm-hmm. it. And just um, like one thing that comes to mind is she was attending school somewhat when she was in treatment. She went whenever it was possible for her to go because she loved being in school and being with her friends. And there was a case of head lice uh, going around at the school. So Nina at that point was bald because she was taking chemo. And but she still got the letter home and she came home from school that day and she unpacks her folder and she hands me this letter and she's like, yep, I guess I'm not going to have to worry about that one then. <laughs> that was just so typical of her. You know, just like, <laughs> Which is hilarious, especially a smart little stinker, <laughs> especially from a six year old, like or seven or however old, yep. but that's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. And that's just what she was like. She would just come up with these things and she just like, wow, yeah, she's only seven or whatever age she was. And, <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And, and her siblings, I mean, where do they fall? Like she's middle, but how much mm-hmm. older and younger are they? Her sister is three years older and her brother two years younger. Okay. Mm-hmm. And were they all pretty close? She and her sister were very close, yes. And um, she, her brother, she kind of was annoyed by him a lot, but, but she loved him very much. Yeah. Just, yeah, a little bit more difficult of a relationship. <laughs> and another thing that she was crazy about was the color red. She just had this thing about everything had to be red. And her her wish was to marry Elmo one day. Because oh. he's all red and furry. And yeah. And she didn't, her her sister was the pink and frilly girly clothes. And she went, but Nina wanted everything red. She's like, I don't want pink. Um, I want my dresses to be red and I want everything red. And we have a lot of red things in our house. I will never look at Elmo now without thinking about Nina. <laughs> and she was, other things she did, she was a, a Girl Scout. She loved doing that. She loved to read. That was since her hospital days were kind of before all the video gaming and, and all that kind of thing came into existence. That was her escape was books. And she mm-hmm. read on a level way beyond her age and was always escaping into a, one book or another. And In general, she sounds like she was a soul way beyond her age for sure. between her sense yeah. of humor. And mm-hmm. yeah, she mm-hmm. sounds like a wonderful, wonderful person. Yes. So we, we, try like our mission with this project is to empower and love on moms who are going through all types of medical motherhood journeys Mm -hmm. and to let the people outside of that circle kind of get a little insight to our lives. Mm -hmm. There are so many topics we could dive into with you. It's so many, but today we're going to talk about kind of your grief journey and Mm -hmm. One of the things that you mentioned was that you do a lot of grief support. I'm curious, like how your, you said your grief journey started with a diagnosis and mm-hmm. kind of being thrown in. Can you talk a little bit about how it all began as far as the grief journey for you? Um, our journey with grief basically started when my daughter was diagnosed with cancer and that was in 2005. And, uh, she was six years old at the time, and we had three children all together. So she's our middle child, um, my other daughter, three years older, and my son, two years younger. And um, basically, it started out with just a visit to the to her pediatrician because she was experiencing some 
pain in her legs and um, just feeling more tired than usual. And the first visit, the doctor just said, oh, she's probably just having some growing pains. Don't worry about it. No big deal. But then when the symptoms persisted, we went for a return visit and had blood work done. And he then made an appointment for us, which was very scary. Uh, he said, oh, well, I've, after the results came back, he called and said, I've made an appointment for you at CHKD at the Cancer and Blood Disorder Center. And I'm like, what? Because that was just totally not something yeah. that we had expected. So um, next day, going there. I believe it was the next day. Maybe it wasn't, but in my mind, it was the next day. And, um, you know, and we were just thrown into this crazy world of things that we had known nothing about. And we we were at CHKD with wonderful, wonderful people working there, wonderful doctors, nurses, support staff. And uh, Nina was subjected to just a battery of all kinds of tests and things. And our, our world was just turned upside down. So I would say that the grieving process, even though yeah. she lived for several years started at that point because we were already like what are we getting into what are, what are we losing well and you went from being a typical mom mm-hmm. one day with a daughter who had some like quote-unquote growing pains to a cancer mom the next day and I exactly like how do you even swallow that in the moment like oh my gosh at first you think there must be some mistake that's that was kind of our thought like all the tests are going to come back and they're going to say no it's not that it's something else that's kind of the hope you cling to initially mm-hmm. and then your your hope changes as the you know as things progress when you do get the diagnosis back then you have to revise your what you're hoping for and just mm-hmm. go along with how things develop so it all kind of blurs together doesn't it i mean i've struggled because I spent five years, um, Lorelai passed at five and a half and the day she was born, we received, we didn't get a diagnosis until a couple months in, but the day she was born, we were put in the NICU and something is wrong. Something is wrong. And that's, that's the only form of motherhood I know. So my motherhood journey is all grief, all anticipatory grief, all, you know, what's going to happen to my kid. And then I'm at a place right now where my son is two and a half, almost three, and he has the same disease that Laurel I had. And so both of my children have a two to five year life expectancy and I'm, I'm grieving Laurel. I passed almost eight months ago. So I'm grieving that. And I have the anticipatory grief of Benji and what his future will look like. So I know I, it, Grief is such a huge topic. It's kind of hard to narrow it down to, quote unquote, when did it start? But as you saw her treatments not working, Mm -hmm. how did all of it kind of begin to unfold for you? Initially, the first year or so of treatment, she was doing very well and she was in remission. So we were very hopeful and um, we had a very good relationship with her oncologist and the nurses at CHKD on the oncology ward are are just phenomenal. So we had very good relationships with them as well. And after she was off of treatment, which was almost two years after her journey began, she then all of a sudden when we thought, okay, we've beat this and life is going to get back to normal, kind of like how it was before cancer, she developed what looked like an eye infection. So, you know, not that concerned. I mean, first, but then um, 
her eyes just kind of started looking weird and went to the doctor and the regular doctor, the pediatrician was a little bit like, um, well, it's probably fine, but, um, maybe you should go check in with the oncologist, which we had, you know, of course scheduled Mm -hmm. follow-up appointments anyway, but so he, the oncologist scheduled a extra appointment for us and we went down there and, and I could tell right by his face that he was like, "Uh Oh, this is not good. And initially her cancer, when she was diagnosed had presented in her chest wall. So it was a tumor growing inward in the chest that was not visible from the outside. So then he said, well, I'm going to, I want to do some scans and things. And I'm like, okay. And so then it turned out that cancer was back and that there were tumors growing behind her eyes and, also then in the brain. And once you relapse, your chances are go down significantly. Mm-hmm. That's chances of survival. And being the smart little girl she was, she knew that too. She, I, I remember her saying, oh, I guess I'm not going to make it to the third grade, in which oh my mom, gosh. You know, that breaks your heart. Yeah. And so um, the oncologist was, up front with us and he said we can treat this but we probably will not be able to cure this and so of course you know that's what we did she was then on palliative care had another rounds of chemo had brain surgery and um all of this was in early 2007 in january and then she died in november you know we've had other guests on here um oh my gosh i feel like i'm already gonna cry We've had other guests on here. You know, our kids are intellectually disabled, and both of our, or all three of our kids happen to be nonverbal. But when I think about my other two that are, you know, typically developing and completely cognitively aware, it's heart wrenching to think that they would completely understand. Now, whether our kids, you know, our disabled children do or not, they can't verbalize that, right? So we're not mm-hmm. in the moment having to deal with and process the comments of like, why is this happening to me? Mom, what about this? Or I'm not going to make it to the third grade. How do you even process and take that weight as a mom? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about dealing with our own grief, but you're also managing the grief of your child and like the unknowns. And um, from an outsider, it seems almost unbearable, but obviously kids are very resilient. So what was your perspective when you were, now that you're out of it a little bit, I'm sure when you're in the moment, she's saying, I'm not going to make it to the third grade. I'm I'm sure you wanted to crumble, but now that you're out of it, do you have a different perspective of how a children processes that news versus the parent processing that news? Well, I think that children in general, and and I've heard this from other parents that I've met through the cancer world, uh, they really know a lot more of what's going on than you think. Um, Even at the age of five, six, seven, they they know. And Nina had a best friend named Danielle that she was very close to. And Danielle was wonderful even when Nina was in treatment that she would come to the hospital, even though that's kind of a drive for us. It's about an hour's drive that, you know, and kept in touch and would come visit and, and still was Nina's friend. Even when Nina was not feeling so well, she would just sit by the couch, you know. And anyways, Danielle's mother told me after Nina died that um, Danielle had confided in her that Nina said to Danielle, I, I think I'm not going to make it and, and I'm not going to be around much longer. And so apparently she had, you know, not wanted to burden us with it because Nina knew, I mean, I tried not to crumble (laughs) in front of her, but, you know, I sure did crumble quite a few times and tried to, 
be strong. And, you know, so did my husband and we tried to build her up and, and, but she, she knew what was going on. And even though we never really had a conversation about, okay, so it looks like you're going to die. We never said that to her. And I don't know if we should have, or, or, you know, shouldn't I, because some people and their kids do have that conversation, but even though we didn't specifically say it, she, she knew what was going on. And looking back, I, I guess it's a good thing that she knew. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say. And now that you look back at how the fact that she did know, do you find her strength like that she walked with that? I mean, how did she live knowing that she was going to die? Well, I think that even though she was wise beyond her years and went through all of this that most children, unfortunately, don't have to go through, she was still a child. So I think in moments she was still able to just kind of focus on being in the now and, and just be happy about playing a game or watching a favorite show on TV. Or I found that later with, after she had died with her siblings too, how much children are able to grieve really intensely in one moment. And then like five minutes later, wipe their tears and go out and play on the swing and smile and laugh. Whereas for us adults, it's a lot harder. Yeah. We can't just shut it off like that. It's always there. I am really amazed when I watch kids go through certain things and I think they're, they just know how to live in the present and they'll get, like you said, they'll grieve heavily and then they're like, okay, I want to go to school, you know, and it's just fascinating. It's something that I would love to think that if I ever went through something like that, I would be able to grieve, like, but I'm not sure that I could. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> I... I don't think I'm going to be able to talk much for this episode. Um, okay. When you said her saying, um, I guess I'm not going to make it to the third grade. I just can't help but think, I mean, Lorelai was nonverbal. Benji is nonverbal, except he has a wicked all done. Um, he could definitely let you know when he's all done. Um, but Five days before Lorelai passed, she was laughing at fart jokes in my kitchen. And I can't help but think, like, did she know that last drive into the ED, which we did every month? Like, did she just know? Mm -hmm. um, and she was just, you know, trying to make it as easy for Mama as possible. Um, her last, her last pick you stay was our short, shortest pick you stay, our shortest hospitalization in her five and a half year journey. It, we were, some of us were in and out, <laughs> um, but we, that was our quickest stay. And I just can't help but think like if Lorelai could have given me words, if she would have been like, it's fine. Just laugh at Alexa's fart jokes. We're going to be okay. Like. We've got this. Um, let's pivot into what you chose to do towards the end of her life, but also how you are continuing to honor her. How yeah. How many years has it been? It will be 15 years in November. So how, I know you're saying about your eight months, um, that sense of weird time displacement doesn't go away. I still, I mean, when I think 15 years, I feel like 
15 years, it's been at least 50 years. And at the same time, I feel like 15 years, it's only been two days. Kind of like, yeah. you know, it's, it's such and there's weird. this weird feeling of like, I only want it to be two days because that means I was two days away from holding my daughter and four days away from laughing at Alexa's fart jokes. <laughs> and then I also am like, I want this to be like decades away so that maybe the pain is a little bit bear more bearable, but so you're telling me it doesn't get, <laughs> it doesn't get more bearable. Um, yes, it does. It does get more bearable, but I, I really, I don't know if you've ever seen that picture of, depicting grief in three jars have you ever seen that yes the the ball in the jar Mm -hmm. and it's like the grief stays the same but the jar around it grows as you Mm -hmm. progress through your grief I think that is a really good way to visualize it and so I think you never stop missing them you never you know feel less upset but you learn to to live with and then when that ball hits that grief button, it still hurts just yes. as bad. Yes. And yeah. I mean, I, I've i come a long way in all these years. I'm able to talk, you know, and I, I usually don't cry. I do sometimes, but not not like I used to when it, mm-hmm. after she died, right after she died. I, I mean, it's just something you learn to learn to live with, really. Yeah. But also to me, it's a bit of a conscious decision. Um, I remember my husband and I went to our first grief support group, and it was offered through the through Edmark, the Children's Hospice yeah. in Portsmouth. Yeah, which, we're involved with them also. Yeah. So um, we went to a meeting, and it was only like a month after Nina had died, so it was very fresh for us. And there was discussion in the in the group, and there was one woman there whose child had died several years ago who said. Uh, you know, I, I hate my life. It's never going to be good again. And it's everything's awful. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing, but it was, and mm-hmm. my husband and I just kind of looked at each other and we were like, we do not want to be like that. And so I think that kind of was something that made us think, okay, we're going to allow ourselves, of course, to grieve and be sad and cry and, and be angry and whatever else is involved. But we, we want to still have a life. We don't want to be only the grief parents, mm-hmm. even though it's a big part of our lives. But you know. yeah, well, and in your case too, you have two other children that mm-hmm. are ready to go out to the playground and ready to go on to high school and prom, and you know, you mm-hmm. have so many things that you have to keep going for. Correct. Yeah. And again, I don't mean to keep turning this back to me, but right now I'm at a place where I keep saying, like, what am I going to do? after Benji passes, like, how am I going to, how are we going to do this? So I love the idea of like, I'm going to have to make a conscious decision to like, keep going and honor them. And yes, and that's something that's helped me a lot. I've had lots of different projects that over the years that some continue some for only a, a time, but, um, mm-hmm. I mentioned that she loved to read. I mean, I love to read. So one of the things that I started to make her birthday less sad because I was happy she was born, of course, mm-hmm. but it's still bittersweet because she's not here to celebrate her birthday. Right. So I started something with our family called Birthday Books for Nina. And each year at her birthday, we did a book drive of some sort and donated all the books to 
uh, different places. We've donated, the, started out, the first place was her elementary school library, and then we had it CHKD, at St. Mary's Home for Children, and mm-hmm. different um, places that we gave mm-hmm. the books. And then one year, I came across Little Free Libraries, which were a new thing to me, and then, so now we have Nina's Book Nook. We have two of them that I steward and take care of, and one's in our neighborhood, and one is at the Lackey Free Clinic in Yorktown. And that's awesome. So that's been something that's helped me feel more of a celebratory mood mm-hmm. when it comes time for her birthday, because every year I know, okay, I'm going to be collecting books and, you know, mm-hmm. and I make a big event of, of it. And so that, and then our family participates in St. Baldrick's, which is the biggest fundraiser for childhood cancer research. We mm-hmm. do that every year. We have three other families whose children were in treatment at the, roughly the same time as Nina that we met at that time. And, his children have all, unfortunately, since then passed away. And we have a team called the Red Sparkle Octopus Crusaders, which each part of the name, the red obviously is for Nina, mm-hmm. and each part refers to one of the children, one something that they loved. And so we're involved with that. And then I've also been facilitating several grief support groups for child loss for a number of years and started on that uh, as a member of those groups and then somehow involved into being a facilitator. And that helps me because it makes me feel like my years of experience helps the people who have come after me. And Mm -hmm. so, well, I was just going to ask you that that was really beautiful when you, you know, talked about what helped you while you were in support groups. What do you find yourself kind of saying in these support groups as you facilitate them? Well, I think, Part of what helps the healing process is just talking about it because it takes a long time to really accept the reality of it. And our brains, I think, kind of try to protect us by kind of shutting off in some ways. And that you can experience that in a number of different ways, just being totally forgetful where before you were organized, just a grief brain and, and just a lot of things being that are not, don't seem to be directly related to the, the death of the child, but everything things are just off and I think going to the groups or going to the groups and speaking with other parents you realize that you're you're not weird you're it's completely normal some of the things that you're experiencing or anger guilt whatever all the feelings that come at you regret any of them you know that you can talk with other parents and there's inevitably going to be somebody in the group who's who's nodding and saying, yep, I can relate to that. Or I did something similar to that. I had that feeling. So it validates however you're experiencing your grief because you tend to get a lot of advice from people who have no idea. (laughs) And a lot of it's not really very helpful and it can make you doubt yourself. I should be doing this or I should not be doing that, you know, and, and oh, it's been it's been over six months. You should be feeling better by now, right? Like, She's in a better place, and God needed a special angel, and all that yeah. bull crap. Yeah. <laughs> so that brings me to my next question: um, What would you, both sides, as a facilitator? You know, I'm sitting here with Susan. I I have never lost a child. I could never put myself in either of your shoes. What would you tell? the members of your support group on how to navigate that situation. But what would you also tell people on the other side that have never gone through that, that don't understand? And although we want to be supportive, sometimes we don't know how because we truly just don't understand. 
Well, um, the members of the support group, I would just remind them that they that each grief journey is different and that there's no wrong or right way to grieve. And, you know, some people throw out all their kids' things the week after they die. Other people, like me, or like quarters of their kids' things. And, like, I, it is a, a sacrifice each time I give something away and I have to give it to somewhere I know that it's going to be appreciated or, or, you know, it's just hard for me. I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's not right or wrong either way. No, it's just I have a very good friend who was on this this podcast who within 48 hours of her son passing, she needed everything cleared out. Yeah. And it it's just amazing to me how we had such similar journeys, but we can grieve so mm-hmm. differently, but so mm-hmm. similarly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Or some people that want to move out of the house where the child died or, you know, and, and me, our daughter this is the only house she's ever lived in. So to me, it's not just her house where she died. It's the house where she lived. So it would be really mm-hmm. hard for me to move out of here. Mm-hmm. So just things like that. And for people who have not experienced it, I would just remind them that you nothing at all that you can say is going to fix it. So don't, don't even try that. The only things you can do is offer your support to be there, help them in the beginning, maybe with practical help, food, errands, help take care of their other children and never ever say oh I know just what you feel like because you have no idea mm-hmm. I know just it. what you feel like because my dog died oh yes I got that with the cats and that oh. mm-hmm. yeah. I mean and and I say that with a little bit of snark mm-hmm. but I also bless their hearts pain is pain and everybody has some level and I'm just grateful that I've lost dogs. I lost my dog of 14 years two months before my daughter died. And I was like crying at the veterinarian's mm-hmm. office. And the vet's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I have two terminally ill children. And if this is how I feel about my dog, how am I going to feel about my kids? And that poor vet, he had never met me before. <laughs> he mm-hmm. just hugged me and he's like, oh, honey, it's going to suck. <laughs> and I was oh, like, it absolutely perfect. is. <laughs> But everybody has their own grief. And Mm -hmm. have you had friends that now have come to you or then have come to you and they're like, I don't want to burden you with my problems because yours are so much greater. I don't ever want my friends to feel like I can't take on their stuff or hear about their stuff because my household is truly upside down most days. Yeah. I just don't want them to feel like that. Yes, I have had people kind of feel that way feel like well I can't say this is bothering me or whatever because it's really you know a pittance compared to what you went through and I guess you just have to let them know that it's okay for them to still feel annoyed at the small things in life as long as they're not comparing them to what you're going through and mm-hmm. I think that's the the thing that I find hard to take is when people yeah, compare it to their cat's death and or which did happen to me, and I locked myself in a bathroom at a Christmas party because this happened at a Christ- my husband's work Christmas party. That is horrible. But anyway, the poor woman probably had no idea what she did. She thought she was being nice. You know? <laughs> but, you know. That's- see you in the new year. <laughs> like, yeah. Just leave me in the bathroom, and I'll see you in January. <laughs> I think also sometimes it takes telling people what we need or what we want also because in our family we have a lot of family in Germany and so for 
birthdays and, and things of the children, we'd always get like an email or phone call or whatever the, the child was. But after Nina died, then my husband's side of the family, no phone calls, no emails came on her birthday. And that hurt me a lot because I was like, why are they not acknowledging that it's her birthday? And so I told them, I said, you know, you guys, that hurts my feelings and makes me feel like you're just not even thinking about her or that she lived. And they said they apologized and, and they said well, we didn't want to bring it up because we thought it would hurt you to bring it up and so that just taught me how it's sometimes you have to say what you need because they weren't trying to be mean they were just you know they had no idea what would make us feel better and yeah. to me it's always better to say that she lived mention her you know talk about it. I've had many people kind of act like it didn't happen because they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And I've had people, you know, and I, I've been pretty open, at least on social media, not as much face to face. And I have not been, February was Lorelai's first birthday in heaven and February kicked my butt. Um, it was just, it was her sixth birthday and I did really well on her birthday because like you, I had a mission and we did six fully loaded hospital bags for moms who are in the PICU. I mean, each bag probably has a $200 value of everything a mom could possibly need or want when they're in the ICU with their kid. So I was like working on that all day and I'm super extra. So I made a hot pink cake and had the whole thing, you know, but the days before and the days after just kicked my butt. I've been pretty open with people about, you know, it's okay to like talk about my daughter Additionally, in my side, it's also okay to talk about what will be happening for Benji because he has the same disease and more than likely will take the same path as her. Like you said, I have found that it's easier to be like, let me spell out what's okay to talk about mm -hmm. because I can't fault them for not knowing. Yeah. Intentions are usually good. Yes. I'm going to take a quick break to offer you something free. Okay, did I catch you with the free thing? I am trying, guys. I have a feeling you are fast-forwarding through all of my little mini commercials, but here's a freebie for you. Since we were just talking about how you can help somebody who's grieving, and we know, we know that grief is awkward. We know that we become awkward when we're grieving. We know that it is awkward to communicate with us and that, yeah, it's just... It's awkward. Grief is awkward and it's uncomfortable and nobody wants to talk about it. So I made a little, a little sheet for you and it's called how to help your friend grieving without being a jerk. It is free. It is on my website. Go get it, download it, share it with people. Go to suzegagan.com slash freebies and you can find it there. Also, if you're new here, we have this club called the When Autumn Comes Society. You should come and join us on Facebook there. We talk about all the things and everybody's welcome. When Autumn Comes Society on Facebook. Now back to the story. Looking ahead, like how did you help your kids grieve? There is a, a group called Kids in Grief, which is a support group for children who've lost a loved one. And they both attended that for a number of years until they kind of got to a point where they said, I think I'm okay, mom. I don't think I need to go to this anymore. But so that was one way. And then we also always made it okay to talk about Nina and we have 
pictures around and you know we like to reminisce and sometimes bring her up um on different occasions that seem fitting when you know there's something that Anita would have liked this or so I think just being open about it and that it's okay to be sad okay to be angry and with my son since he was younger he was only six when she died it was as they always say um with each developmental stage kids will kind of reprocess their grief so questions would come up even a couple years later he all of a sudden would have these questions about you know what happened or what does what does her body look like now that she's been dead for a number of years just kind of questions where you have to kind of swallow and go okay let me try to answer this you know appropriate for his age and so I guess support um my older daughter going to middle school kind of almost wanted to take on a new identity and not be the, the cancer sister. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of you know, let her do that. And she only told friends, after, new friends, after she had gained their trust and she didn't want to be just known as the cancer sister. I, mm-hmm. I would like to ask a question as a mom who is new to this, eight months new. Mm-hmm. I have struggled with the thought of anybody I meet now will only know me as a mom with one kid. Or if Benji has to get a new nurse in our house, we had nursing care for both children and that nurse helped take care of both kids. But when the time comes that we need a new nurse, they come into our house and they are very involved in our house of helping, you know, care for Benji. And they're only going to know us as a one-child household. And any friends I meet in the future are going to be like, you know, whether I I think far down the line, like, I'm going to be in a nursing home one day because I won't have children to take care of me. And I'm going to have pictures of my kids, which at that point, whatever digital pictures we have now will probably be far outdated. But are people going to be like, oh, are those your grandchildren? Like, no, those are my kids. And they died at five years old and whatever. I'm not even going to put a number out for Benji. How do you feel like meeting people now? And has that thought ever crossed your mind or has felt different when you're like taking family pictures and she's not there? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How does that feel? Well, that's actually a very good question that comes up quite a bit in the grief groups because that's just one of the basic questions people ask each other when they first meet. So how many kids do you have? Right. And so the answer on that varies too. It's kind of up to the individual. Some people say, you know, if they only have one living child, they only will mention the living one. Others will say, I have two, but one of them's in heaven or, you know, whatever, whatever you feel comfortable with. I always, pretty much always, if there's been a rare occasion when I didn't mention Nina, but normally I always, I say I have three children, and then if the conversation goes further, like what ages, then I'll I'll say that she's died. But I always, to me, feel like if I don't mention her, I could hear Nina's voice in the back of my head saying, "Mom, well, what about me?" And mm-hmm. you know, but that, again, there's no right or wrong answer to that. It's however you feel comfortable. And some people only want to share with people they feel comfortable sharing that with. With me, I guess I take it as a way to educate too that yeah kids can get cancer and can die because a lot of people don't think about that and or they think it's some kids somewhere some other place you know and it's not not something that happens to any family Mm -hmm. did you find that that changed like throughout your journey 
where there were some times where you're like, I just can't go there. So if the stranger at the supermarket wants to know how many kids I have, it's two because I don't want to break down in the supermarket. Or were you pretty adamant just on your specific journey about always honoring her? I think I was pretty consistent the whole time. Yeah. Susan, how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like... I have two kids. And I absolutely have two kids. And I believe... This is where I get very like woo woo on the world, but I believe Lorelai is still with us. I believe it's just different. I still have a relationship with my kid. It is just very different from what I had. And Lorelai sends what I call love winks and they are hearts that show up all over the place. And mm-hmm. um, our nurse was here on, I think it was Tuesday. So a couple days ago. And I was like, Jenny, Jenny, come in here. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, look at the cabinet. And on the medicine cabinet, or which was Lorelai's old medicine cabinet, there is a light, a bright, like it was reflecting the light somewhere and it was shaped like a heart. And I just, my kid shows up when I need her. And I mean, not, not as much as I need right now because I am very needy mama right now. And she is not showing up nearly as much as my grieving mom heart would like, but she's doing everything she can. And I, I will always have two kids. And if I cry in front of somebody, that's their problem. <laughs> like I I feel like I'm at a point right now where I just feel like nobody wants to talk about grief. Like nobody wants nobody's comfortable with it. And it should be something we all grieve so mm-hmm. many different things in so many different ways and I think part of the unfortunate part of the grieving journey for so many people is that Nobody wants to sit down and talk about it. That makes people shy away. And that's why I love like an episode like this where we're saying, it's okay to talk about our kids. I had somebody say, well, I, I had to take down the pictures that I had with her in the house before, you know, you were going to come over. No, like I want, like, I want to see you honoring my kid. I want to see her everywhere. I, I love when people are like, what's a funny memory you have of your daughter? Absolutely. As much as I can talk about her and her love of trolls and her crazy, wicked, good hair, like, I will absolutely talk about it. So, yeah, I will always have two kids. Mm-hmm. They may not be in my arms, but I will always have two kids. Yes. If someone is looking to find a grief group, where do they look? How do they find that? Well, the grief groups that I'm affiliated with, the kids in grief, they would be able to find that just by googling kids in grief Mm -hmm. and um it has different groups for children of different age groups and also has accompanying parents or caregiver groups so the parents would also be able to attend a group there and also your local hospitals are a good resource they have usually different types of support groups of course the pandemic has messed all of this up some and our groups have been meeting on zoom Mm-hmm. Um, and not in person as they used to, and in person is better, but mm-hmm. and for most people. So I, I think just checking with your local hospitals, doctors' offices, uh, guidance counselors. Um, you know, any kind of if you're a member of a group for a specific health concern, they might right. have some resources too. And my other question for you is. If you had to give, I hate to use the word pep talk because none of this is peppy, 
But if you had to give a, let's say, grief talk, a quick griefy peppy talk <laughs> to a mom, Mm-hmm. Me, for example, um, if you had to give a quick pep talk as a mom who is 15 years down the road to a mom who maybe is one week or one month or one year mm-hmm. into this, can you give that quick pep talk? Well, I would say don't look at the 15 years. Look at the next 15 minutes and focus on just breathing and one step at a time. And it will all fall into place eventually and you'll be able to continue living your life because there's still so much left to live for even after a catastrophic loss. Yeah. Okay. Well, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests one question and that question is what gives you hope? Well, um, I guess I feel very hopeful because I'm still standing (laughs) and uh, I've been able to, to give back in a way with facilitating the grief groups and and um, doing the various activities in, in Nina's memory and in her honor. And um, it makes me hopeful that I'll be able to continue doing that. And I, I, I see other people that I've accompanied on the grief journey through being a facilitator, and I feel hopeful for them because I can see that they are also progressing in their healing and and, and life is a wonderful thing. Well, now I'm going to have to go. I'd say wipe mascara off my face, but I don't wear mascara. <laughs> I didn't even brush my hair for this. So, yeah. Oh, that was really cool. She, I feel like, had some really concrete um ways to work through grief. And I love that she was a facilitator. I I think she was well-spoken and it's really interesting to get a perspective of somebody that's 15 years out. That's crazy. It's me hope too, because I, I mean, part of the reason this whole podcast was started was to help other people who are fresh in their journey. And Mm -hmm. I don't want every episode to turn into a grief episode. I don't want every, you know, but I also love that I can help people who are behind me in this journey. And in some ways, I'm sure talking to people who are 15 years down the road can also help them feel seen in ways too. Mm -hmm. I I find consolation and yet like angst with, as I was talking to her, realizing that every single one of us, me, you, Stephanie, and every person that's listening has their own story and their own journey. And it's amazing because you can take little bits and pieces of, of things that have helped others, but ultimately like nobody will ever, ever understand the specific journey that you're on. And sometimes I feel like that's lonely to think about. And other times I feel like for me, as she was talking, and I don't want this to sound insensitive because I know people are, are at different spots, but for me, I hope that that represents like a point where I have to rely on God because nobody else will fully understand what I'm going through. So hopefully it will help me turn to God to walk through a journey that I feel lonely on, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But it, that just as she was talking and you were talking about like, you guys have very different journeys, but you both lost a kid. You know, you would think mm-hmm. that that's very similar. There will never be a consolation for you fully by an outside person, right? Like we can all gain things, but I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. 
No, it was, it was a very good conversation and it was at a very good time for me. So good. I hope this hits other people well too. This is Susan and I am going to go probably do a little crying. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Diane and I'm going to go make one more cup of coffee.